Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here on a Friday. A little bit down today. A little bit down. The A's went down. Their season is over. That's two of my sports teams are gone. The Bucks, we know. The A's are gone. All I have left is one team. I've only got the Geelong Football Club, the Geelong Cats, my Australian football team, are the only team left, and they've got an elimination final on Saturday night. So it might be all over for them as well. So it's tough times. Tough times in the sports world, but uh, as I keep mentioning through the week, at least you guys have got the Packers to keep you busy. I am here by myself today, but that's okay. I've got a really interesting audio clip I want to play as this podcast rolls on. Will Weaver might not be a guy, or it might not be a name that a lot of the listeners are really familiar with. Will Weaver uh, is an American basketball coach. Uh, He was with Kenny Atkinson in Brooklyn. He also was the coach of the Long Island Nets uh, in the G League. And now he is the coach of the Sydney Kings in the NBL. He was coaching Andrew Bogut this season or last season, the last couple of seasons, I should say, in the NBL. And he's also an assistant coach on the Australian national team. Now, you might be wondering why this is interesting to Locked On Bucks, but I had Will on my podcast another one of my podcasts which by the way the name of this podcast is not going to shock anyone okay it's the pit and roll podcast okay you guys knew that i was going to have a pun if for one of my podcast names but i had will on the show earlier this week by the way uh, if you want to you can find the podcast over at pickandroll.com.au and subscribe there but the full conversation with will was mostly about the kings and by chance will actually brought up the milwaukee bucks and he brought up the defensive strategy that they had when I spoke about the Kings actually playing a similar defensive strategy to Milwaukee. They played drop screen, a drop scheme in the pick and roll with Andrew Bogut and will actually brought up Brooke Lopez and he brought up the Milwaukee Bucks and he brought up Mike Budenholzer and he said a few interesting things in there. So I want to play that conversation a little bit later on and then expand on some of those thoughts as we roll there. I think you guys might find some interest out of that based on what Frank and Justin and myself have been speaking about over the last few weeks. As far as news goes around the NBA today, uh, a bunch of awards continue to get rolled out. It's such a weird feeling to be getting uh, these end-of-season awards coming out, particularly given the fact we're in the middle of October now. Uh, But the Executive of the Year came out this morning Lawrence Frank of the LA Clippers has been awarded the executive of the year. Sam Presti with the Thunder came in second, followed by Pat Riley. And then John Horst came in fourth in the executive of the year award this year. And he actually received three first place votes for executive of the year. Now this award is voted on by the executives. They vote on the award themselves. John Horst Executive of the Year in 2018-19. And I think we all, we all kind of agreed with that. I think everyone was 
you know, pretty satisfied with the fact that he had an incredible summer, not only with the hire of Mike Budenholzer, but bringing in Brooke Lopez um, at, at the start of that season, a, a number of other additions, obviously, that proved critical to the Bucks going from a, a fringe playoff team to the Eastern Conference Finals. But this year, it's very curious to me that he picked up three first-place votes. He didn't have a disastrous year, I mean, I don't think. But he didn't make any major moves that made this team better. The Brogdon one stands out, clearly. That's where you could probably take some points away. Although, as we've spoken about, and Frank and myself multiple times have said, how much blame can you put on John Horst for Malcolm Brogdon not being back? That tends to be more of an owner uh, situation there when it comes to financial decisions like the Brogdon one was. Outside of that, I, I think he, he does get credit for signing Wesley Matthews. He was an incredible contributor to the starting lineup, what he did defensively in particular, and taking those key matchups time after time after time. Wesley Matthews was a fantastic signing. Marvin Williams in the buyout market was great. The ability to, to probably get one of the prime targets. A guy that, again, the Celtics were really keen on. A number of teams wanted Marvin. John Horst was able to sign... Marvin Williams, which was big for the Bucks. Kyle Korver, I guess, in the offseason, again, was able to get his signature. But nothing major. Nothing major that you would think would get you a first-place vote in the Executive of the Year award. It was just a little strange. I'll tell you what, though. I will say this. I'll say this. If John Horst is able to get Giannis to sign the Supermax in a month's time or in a couple of months' time, then give him the 2020-2021 Executive of the Year on the spot before the ink dries. Give him the, give him the damn trophy because he is going to deserve that if he uh, is able to sign Giannis to the Supermax. But as for Lawrence Frank, there was a lot of jokes online, particularly because of the way things panned out for the Clippers. And listen, I, I totally understand. I understand why people would be uh, making jokes about the fact that the Clippers flamed out and they gave, they basically... I don't know. I mean, it feels like they don't have a draft pick for the next 35 years because of the trades they made for, you know, in particular, Paul George. Uh, but, uh, and they were able to sign acquire Leonard. But I think anytime you sign two marquee free agents or, or acquire two marquee free agents in one offseason, I certainly understand why uh, the, the other executives would respect that. Because remember, you know, we can laugh at Lawrence Frank now, but at the time, Everyone was very on, and very in on the Clippers. All year, I thought they were going to be the team to play the Bucs in the NBA Finals. Maybe they would have been if the season wasn't interrupted. I mean, there's so many random things that happened. I don't think it's totally fair to laugh at Lawrence Frank or laugh at this result, the fact that he won this, because I think that, you know, his ability to get those two players to, in LA Clippers uniforms in the first place deserves some credit. But in terms of pure work in terms of pure front office smarts and ability to assess the situation i really love what sam presti and pat riley have been able to do presti in particular the thunder this year were an impressive team i thought they surprised many not many people thought they were going to make the postseason obviously the chris paul renaissance was the story of the season but their ability to not only make the postseason this year with kind of a makeshift roster that's not going to be back together next year and then have just the complete treasure chest of draft picks that they have moving forward puts the Thunder in an incredible position of not only 
having the the assets, the trade assets that we as Bucks fans talk about would be the absolute dream to have those. They can they can go for a quick fix with draft picks and try and trade in good players, trade in stars, or they can go to the draft and rebuild that way. The Oklahoma City Thunder, certainly a franchise that uh, a number of teams outside the playoffs would be very jealous of right at this moment. And then Pat Riley. I mean, Pat Riley completely stole the trade deadline period with the acquisition of Andre Iguodala and also uh, picking up Jay Crowder, who, you know, at this point, it doesn't look like they're going to win the NBA finals, but you have to give so much credit to Pat Riley for being able to make that happen. And remember, they traded away uh, Justice Winslow, a guy who, you know, going back a couple of years ago, he was the he was the crown jewel in the Miami Heat asset chest. He was a guy that a lot of people had high hopes for. They thought he was going to be a star of the franchise moving forward that obviously never eventuated with uh, Justice Winslow, mostly through injury. But to pull the trigger on that trade and say, okay, I, not only do I think that we have the, the guys on this roster that we can do something this year, but we're going to bring in guys that literally fit the matchups that we're after. They developed a roster that was built to beat Giannis and they got the job done. And again, you can, you can question, you know, would things have been different? I certainly am of the belief that things would have been a little bit different if they, we were playing at Fiserv Forum and the season didn't end. I do believe that. I'm not saying the Bucs would have won, but I think that the series would have been closer for sure. But either way, they still had the roster and the pieces with Crowder and Jimmy Butler, who was already there and acquiring him in that trade. Just a huge deal. Huge deal and a huge off-season and uh, in-season trade period for Pat Riley. Uh, you know, he probably would have been my pick for executive of the year. I think Masai Ujiri uh, came in fifth there, which is kind of, uh, you know, I mean, the Raptors didn't do anything crazy this year. They largely brought back uh, the same crew minus Kawhi. So uh, nothing, nothing too wild there for the Raptors. But executive of the year, it's always interesting. And I, I thought it was worth mentioning that uh, Horse did come in fourth there, but a uh, long way off the pace. He actually had 27 total votes. Pat Riley had 39 in third. Sam Presti, 41 in fourth. And then Lawrence Frank uh, with 61 there. So in the end, a pretty comfortable win uh, for Lawrence Frank. Now, I want to get to this Will Weaver conversation. We're going to do this, but before we do... I do want to mention Built Go. And I spoke about this a couple of times now uh, from uh, the, the great work that they're doing at Built. But Built Go is a little bit different. And I, I, I told you guys this. I got the delivery the other day. I, I uh, had some Built Go prior to exercise. And I, I can't tell you. I mean, the energy I had, how much better I felt going on this run. It's real. It's real. And I, I got to tell you, I've questioned this stuff before in the past. But Built Go is fantastic. Because whether it's a mental or physical wall, you've got to break through it and do it with Go every day. It's easy to take in 1.5-ounce packages. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's a five-hour energy hit without the same crash feeling that you would usually get from other products. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for the body. That's the key part there. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. They have three delicious flavors, peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. The offer we have, go to builtgo.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, for 20% off at builtgo.com. Let's go. 
Okay, I want to jump straight into the conversation now with Will Weaver. As I mentioned right off the top, current coach of the Sydney Kings uh, has got experience in the NBA with the Brooklyn Nets organization and as head coach of the Long Island Nets. Here's Will. It's funny you bring up the final series. I was still in Milwaukee at the time, and I, I can tell you there was a lot of attention on this NBL series. You had Andrew Bogut versus Miles Plumley, two uh, former Milwaukee Bucks players, and I, I think people couldn't believe that they were playing against each other in 2020 in the finals. But you spoke about some of the, the impact that Bogut had, um, not only on the court, but, but off the floor with some of these guys. And I, I think, for me... It was always a pleasure being able to watch him on the offensive end, a guy that a genuine seven footer that you can run offense through, even though he doesn't typically he doesn't fit the typical bill of an offensive player in twenty twenty. He doesn't shoot shoot the uh, doesn't shoot the three, but you're able to run the offense through. We tried. We tried, man. It was like, you know, we, we, uh, there was weeks where I was we're thinking we might have that breakthrough, but when he's that good with the ball in his hands doing other stuff, it's it's pretty easy to be argued down off the off the trail three. That's the problem. I asked him. I, I said, you had a pretty nice looking jump shot in college. What happened? Why did it never, why did it never come out? But uh, I guess, as you said, when you're so good at everything else, why does it matter? But the curse of skill, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing. But defensively, how is this going to change what you guys do? And, and, and the reason I ask that is because when you have a guy out there and you see if you're at the game, you can, first of all, you can hear him, but you can see him talking as much as he does uh, playing that sort of central role. And I know that you guys, a lot of the times, used his ability and his IQ and were able to play sort of a job scheme in pick and roll. And, and he was just that guy that was telling everyone where to go. He was protecting the rim. So when you lose a... Regardless of, as you said, when I when I call him hobbled, you still say, well, you watch him play and you see what he was able to do. So when you lose that, what does that change schematically how you think you're going to run the defense? Well, I think it's an apt question. And taking this job... Before I took this job, I was sitting in the lobby of my apartment building in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan, talking to Bogut at 10 o'clock at night or something, um, and just kicking around the idea of, you know, how would this work? And he is not, it's not complicated how to be successful with Andrew Bogut, right? Um, doesn't mean it's easy, but it's pretty simple. Like the man can really pass, the man can really screen, <laughs> he protects the hell out of the rim, he rebounds everything. He's an amazing communicator. And so right from the first day, that was the shape that the team was going to take. And um, the style that we chose had some similarities from teams that he'd played on in the past. There's certainly some boomers concepts that we used uh, to use him as a dribble handoff guy and as a passer. Um, the kind of the Mike D'Antoni style of, um, you know, 21 and delay and the, the things that those Rockets teams have done over the past couple of years before then the Suns were pretty clear and that had ramifications in terms of how we were going to run and transition and do other things. Um, and on the defensive side of the ball, you know, the scheme that we employed has been used by the Milwaukee Bucks really effectively over the past several years. Um, but we, um, the simplicity and the enjoyment of um, seeing maybe someone who's the best in the world at what he does apply that specific trait also meant that we were a little less versatile because we were invested in that. And so that meant we had to have some change up pitches in the finals, which we obviously used to try to deal with uh, the MVP and Bryce Cotton. And, and he was amazing throughout the season, but um, the, I think the exciting thing for us is that we have the ability to um, move forward with players that are surely less esteemed and uh, have less of a 
hundred mile hundred mile an hour fastball to bring an American um, metaphor into it, but that we might be able to mix in a slider or a changeup or a curveball in how we play. And so um, Dan Kickert was tremendous defensively last year. Like the numbers are scary when, you, especially when you consider like a lot of the on-off stuff. He's playing behind Andrew Bogut, and he's still got ridiculous <laughs> on-off defensive numbers. So that shines a light on how good he was defensively, and we're lucky to have him back. Jordy Hunter has some of those same types of attributes that we think he can be great in those same kind of places moving forward. Um, but I think that we're going to have the opportunity to play uh, in a style that will be a little less predictable and um, will also – perhaps provide us the opportunity to um, put other teams in a position to react to us more often, which will be good fun. You brought up Milwaukee Bucks. So I wasn't going to compare Brook Lopez to Andrew Boga, but being someone that's watched those teams the last two years, the way they play defensively, doing the same thing. And we've seen that playing that system has maximized Brook Lopez to the extent where I don't think anyone ever thought of him as a defensive player of the year candidate, and he legitimately has been. So you brought it up. You brought it up. And, uh, and I think uh, that's what I've noticed from watching you guys and then going over there and watching those guys up close. Which is always been someone that found ways to protect the rim yeah. and um, the way he moves, uh, you know, sometimes belies the fact that he's so gifted at verticality and so crafty in the way, not only with his communication, but also with his feints. Um, and the time we spent together in Brooklyn was, uh, it was rich for us. That was our first year together. And, you know, the all time leading scorer in the history of the franchise is, being asked to do things much differently than they did before. And I learned a lot of lessons about how to come in as a new staff, um, how to bring evidence to great players, including like, like Brooke and help them understand how we are going to, um, how we are going to showcase them and make them great. And we had Brooke had an amazing year for us and that, offered the opportunity to trade for D'Angelo Russell. And we took advantage of that, which is obviously transformative in the rebuild with Brooklyn. But um, the inspiration that we all get from watching the best league on the planet and Mike Budenholzer is surely one of the best coaches on the planet um, has, was really great knowing a bit about their system and how we employed similar ideas in Brooklyn under Kenny Atkinson, who worked for, for Bud in Atlanta. Um, that was obviously a master's course for me in um, defensive philosophies and gave us the opportunity to leverage some of that into um, someone told me the other day that our defensive rating last year was a greater difference between us and second place as the difference between second and seventh place. So um, that would rate it as historically one of the best defenses of all time in NBL history. And that's such a credit to, in our first year as a group together through injuries and ins and outs um, to be able to achieve that is something that um, really establishes a foundation about how we view ourselves as a defensive program. You mentioned verticality and that's, that's a word I always come back to when uh, Andrew Bogut, obviously, but Brooke as well. How rare is that ability in a player um, from obviously your time coaching and, and, and being up close with these guys because this is the thing I always talk about when I talk about those guys. It's like you can be a rim protector, you can be smart, you can communicate, but if you're you know, by nature basically inviting these guys to come at you and, and take you at the rim, 
being able to do so, you're not always going to get the block, but being able to do that and not foul is, is clearly critical to, to having success. I'll tell you what, the bravery required, yeah. the elbows and knees yeah. and <laughs> shoulders that are coming into regions of your body that no one would invite those appendages is real. Um, and uh, to offer yourself up and pop your chest and throw your hands back and wall up is something that uh, requires a lot of chutzpah. So I think really the fascinating thing about this conversation and the thing that even though this conversation that I was having with Will was about the Sydney Kings and the NBL and Australian basketball, the thing that really piqued my interest was when Will started talking about the Kings this season being able to be a little less predictable and being able to try different things, particularly on the defensive end, by virtue of not having Andrew Bogut on the roster anymore. And he didn't say that in a way that he was trying to criticize Andrew Bogut or say that he he didn't wish that he was there anymore. But just by nature, when you have Andrew Bogut on the roster, they were kind of tied to playing a particular style, particularly on defense. Now, clearly the Bucs have been in the same position with Brooke Lopez. And this is something that I've spoke about a little bit over the past few weeks. But to hear a coach say the same thing, I, I think was really fascinating to me. And I, I, you know, again, when we decide whether or not, for better or worse, you would want Brooke Lopez on the roster, I still think, yes, you would want him there. But it is pertinent to the discussion to say that if you have Brooke Lopez still there defensively, it does limit the creativity you're able to execute, particularly on the defensive end. And the frustration that we've had and Bucks fans have had right throughout has been jump shooters, has been the opposition's ability to move the ball around a little bit and find themselves open from three. We saw it. They had had trouble right through the bubble, particularly the seeding games. And then in the first round in particular, uh, if you remember, Nikola Vucevic was just tearing the Bucks to pieces. So this is kind of just my point that we've been making over the last few shows here is that uh, with Brooke Lopez, uh, again, I think he's going to be in Milwaukee next season. But if he is, you know he's going to play 30 minutes a night. And in those 30 minutes a night, you're probably going to play drop coverage in the pick and roll. And you're going to do the same things. And the Milwaukee Bucks, similar to the Sydney Kings, dominant defense. And the Bucks will be dominant defensively again because Brooke Lopez is perfectly suited to that role in that defensive scheme because he's really, really damn good. He's elite. He's an elite rim protector. But I think for the Bucks next year, what we all want to see, we don't want to completely abandon the things that have worked in the past and have made this Bucks team great. But you do want to see more creativity, certainly Giannis in different situations defensively, certainly more switching that we rarely, if, if hardly at all, have seen with this Bucks team since Mike Budenholzer came to town. So it was just a fascinating conversation and something that came up that I thought, thought was worth mentioning, particularly as we assess uh, what the Bucks could potentially do this offseason. Now, just a couple of listener comments before we wrap this up. I want to go back to a comment or a tweet we had from Bobby Bratwurst on Twitter. Now, this was back on September 28th, so I apologize for not getting to this a little earlier. I was going back today and looking at some of the comments we had. So Bobby said, question for the mailbag. A lot of talk lately on the pod about no rush on Giannis' side to sign contract or extension. He says, but don't you 
see not wanting to be asked about it literally every game throughout the season to be a good reason. Get it done and taken care of before the season. So I think there's a couple of factors to that. I think, no doubt, the people that will benefit the most from Giannis signing an extension would be would be us, would be Bucks fans, because then we wouldn't have to listen to the stupid rumors and the ridiculous speculation that there was basically there all year this season and certainly is only going to ramp up with intensity as next season goes on as well. I mean, it's only going to get worse. So I think from that point of view, we would love him to sign so we don't have to hear any of that shit anymore. That would be fantastic. As far as Giannis goes, we know his uh, social media usage habits, they're down. He doesn't use it a lot. He doesn't even follow anyone anymore on social media. And he's actually got a really good knack for shutting it down in press conferences and anytime anyone asks him about his contract situation. And from my memory, I can only really remember it happening a couple of times, actually. And he's just like, oh, I'm not going to talk about it. And it kind of shuts it down. He's not someone that will stretch it out or, you know, say anything that would, that would create that speculation or fuel the fire, that's for sure. He's never really been that type of guy. So I, I'm, not, I'm not too worried about that. And I, I don't think he is either. I still kind of don't expect him to roll right through to free agency next year. I don't know whether he's going to sign the Supermax again. I, my, my kind of thought is that he might sign a, a smaller deal, but I, it's just a hunch. And, you know, I, I speak to a few people. I try and get the inside word and see what's happening. But I do have some confidence that there is going to be some sort of extension signed this summer, whether it's a Supermax or a shorter one. But I, I don't think that that would be a reason for doing it for him. I, I just don't think uh, that he would worry about uh, that too much. Based on the conversation, and this was pretty fun, we got a few comments about the 2K conversation we had yesterday, which, by the way, it has been confirmed <laughs> Giannis tweeted today, Giannis is on Madden, but not only is Giannis on Madden, Thanasis is on Madden and Costas is on Madden as well. So I did tweet it out earlier that uh, yeah, Matt LaFleur, we know Lazard's injured. We know Devontae Adams has had some hamstring troubles. Maybe Matt LaFleur might be trying out some Madden right now with Giannis at wide receiver and seeing whether they could bring him in for a few weeks here. Aaron Rodgers to Giannis for a touchdown. I would, I'll tell you what. I watch most Packers games anyway, but I would definitely tune in for that one. But as far as our conversation about 2K, a couple of players that were mentioned, Anil Saw mentioned Tony Kukoc could not miss back in the NBA Live days. And I mentioned yesterday, I love playing those teams with Andrew Bogut, Tony Kukoc. Yuri Walsh was a guy I mentioned. I like using him off the bench as well. Desmond Mason could throw down. There's no doubt about that. But Tony K, 100%, 100%. Love Tony. And he had a... He had a pretty easy shot to knock down in the video games. Justin Sayan, uh, someone that I interact with very regularly on Twitter, he mentions Corey McGetty was unstoppable in 2K. Unfortunately, not so much in real life for the Bucks. From what I remember, Corey McGetty could knock down the mid-range shot with regularity on the video game. Uh, he would also get to the free throw line, which was certainly a trait that he carried through onto the NBA floor. He, he spent... To, I mean, length of game when Corey McGetty was in there. I mean, you could add an hour because he's going to spend the whole time at the free throw line. So Corey McGetty was another play, another play that was mentioned uh, there as well. And someone else, uh, Bix, Bix, he said, talking about random bucks, how did no one bring up Mark Pope? Now, Mark Pope, uh, I spoke about him a little bit during the hiatus when I did my week on the 2001 bucks, which by the way, 
If you're listening to this podcast and you're a fan of the 2001 Bucks team with Ray Allen, Glenn Robinson, Sam Cassell, uh, go back and check out that week. It was, a, it was a really fascinating podcast series I did. I caught up with Michael Hunt all the way from Finland, the beat reporter at the time for the Journal Sentinel. He had some pretty interesting stories from that season. And then I caught up with George Carl, Coach Carl. He came on the pod. He's been on the podcast a couple of times since, but uh, he spoke about Ray Allen in detail as well, which was totally fascinating. But I did reach out to Mark Pope. That's the whole point of this story here. I did reach out to Mark Pope. I didn't get anything back. I was trying to get him on the podcast, which would have been uh, pretty funny because he is a guy that Bucks fans uh, semi-regularly will tweet me about. Mark Pope, seemingly a popular figure among Buck fans. And uh, one last tweet before we wrap this up. Anil saw again. He said, I'm seeing so much trade talk amongst fans. I thought maybe you guys could do a great the trade type mailbag where we all just send you hypothetical trades and you talk about the ones most interesting to you. I think this is fascinating. Listen, this is the off-season. Part of the fun of the off-season is talking about rumors, coming up with trades, different scenarios that could go down. So uh, if you are a fan of the trade machine, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, feel free to send it through to us at Locked On Bucks, or you can get us at Locked On, uh, sorry, or Locked On Bucks at gmail.com as well. Send through your trades, send through your ideas, and we'll certainly get to them as they come through and discuss them. But for now, I'm going to leave it there. End of the week could be the last podcast I have during the live NBA season because it could all be finished tomorrow. Game five of the NBA finals between Miami and LA. I'm expecting the Lakers to win that one, but who knows? Maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast again, we will have a game six. We will see. But for myself and Frank, who I don't know what he's doing, eating pizza, we will be back next week. Have a good weekend. Stay safe. We'll speak to you guys then.